0: To the Total Soccer Show. My name is Daryl Grove, and I'm joined by a man who loves a nil-nil draw in an NWSL Challenge Cup quarterfinal. His name is Taylor Rockwell, and it's his lucky week.
1: <laughs> it is indeed. Yeah, they have they have more than made up uh, for scoring goals in the uh, in the initial stages by scoring no goals in the knockout round.
0: Oh, we will talk about uh, at least two of those games, right? Spirit yep. versus Sky Blue and Rain versus Chicago Red Stars mm-hmm. later in today's show. We still have things to say, right? Even in games with no goals, we still have things to say.
1: I, I did tweet this and I meant it. If if Manchester United and Chelsea had gone to penalties, which it obviously did not, if it had remained goalless for that for, for that full 90 minutes, I, I think we might have been okay with just putting out a show of like white noise instead of <laughs> covering three games that all had zero goals in regulation.
0: Wasn't your proposal gently tumbling rain or something like that?
1: Uh, it was rain and the sounds of gentle slumber, I believe, yes.
0: <laughs> delightful. I'm sure my it would small, have been delightful, Taylor.
1: My small dog breathes louder than most like animals that are 50 times her size, so I would have just recorded that, I think, and put that one in there.
0: <laughs> I'm sure The Athletic would have loved that. I'm sure it reaches their journalistic standards.
1: I Probably. It's something Pablo would do, I feel like. Oh, he'd love it. He'd
0: absolutely <laughs> love it. Um, shall we start sure. with... Shall we start with... Mm. Um, At Wembley, FA Cup semi-final. It's Manchester United versus Chelsea. It's a 3-1 win for Chelsea. Goals by Giroud, Mount, and unfortunately, mm-hmm. Maguire. And they yes. like consolation from what? Fernandez from the spot.
1: Mm-hmm. And, and though it finishes 3-1... Really, I think like we both—if you sort of ignore that penalty, which we kind of did when we were doing our like back and forth on the on the pre-recording notes—like yeah. this felt more like six room. nil. Yeah, in the green room, obviously having <laughs> uh, having our uh, provided meals. Uh, this felt more like six nil to me. It, it, it felt very much like Chelsea sort of raised their game as it went on and could have won by a few more goals if they'd really yeah. uh, pressed their
0: luck. Well, the first weirdly, the first. 55 minutes of the first half. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> this really felt like it was going to end in a nil-nil draw. Hence, yeah. you know, the joke about putting out the rain and slumber mm-hmm. podcast. So let's start there. What sure. was going on in the first half that caused us to lose all hope of goals beyond this point?
1: Uh, I think, well, I, I kind of said this at the very end of yesterday's show, and I genuinely did mean mean it not to be a reverse jinx, but I did kind of see this coming. I felt like it would end up being Chelsea's win, and I thought a big reason for that was going to be Manchester United's like, already looking very fati- uh, fatigued. They allow that late equalizer against Southampton. They only use two subs against Palace. The squad looks tired. Chelsea have, I think, two days more rest, and I think from there I was kind of expecting some squad rotation, maybe a different formation, different tactics, but when you change that up... Yeah, and when you change it up like that and bring in some players that aren't necessarily your first team starters, you lose a little bit of the rhythm, you lose a little bit of the kind of uh, consistency and the back and forth that maybe you might get from players that have been playing together more regularly but cannot because of that level of fatigue. And I think also when you have two teams that balance each other out more or less directly in terms of formation, that can lead to a lot of goals and really exciting soccer. It can also lead to a lot of feeling each other out and sort of slow patterns of play as the game develops.
0: Before we talk tactics, let's talk about Manchester United starting eleven because sure. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, for as long as I can remember, and that's because I, I can only remember the past two months, um, is he's gone with a starting eleven that basically has Martial, Greenwood, um, and Rashford as a front right. three, Fernandez in behind. And then after not starting the first game, Pogba um, with Matic and then the back four behind, right? Right. So this felt like for this FA Cup semi-final, the first time in a long time that he decided, all right, Greenwood needs a rest, Martial Mm -hmm. needs a rest, Pogba needs a rest. Um, Luke Shaw is out injured, so that's why Brandon Williams was starting left back, right? So that's not necessarily a Solskjaer decision, but it does reveal to me that a, we talked about this before. The absolute lack of depth at Manchester United. Like the, mm-hmm. I, I always pick on him, and I'm really sorry. But the drop off between what Mason Greenwood has been doing and what Danny James has been doing is to me pretty, pretty steep.
1: Right. I think. I think also it's very telling to me that I just assumed you were going uh, to say Pogba Fred, uh, and you're right. It is. It is Greenwood to Danny lasty. James at this point. But it's. It's. It's just you could have said either one of those, and I would have been like, yeah, it's a pretty big drop yeah. off, which I think further illustrates your point.
0: And I really think that the great run of form that Man United were in, um, mm. it was genuine, right? That team was really exciting and it still is really exciting when you see that 11. But I think it's almost like, um, if, you, if you ever played football manager, right? Mm. There's some people play it where they just try and fig- keep changing the team until the best 11 is on the, f- or like what turns out to be the best 11. Mm. And they stick with it for as long as they can, right? You just right. Ride, <laughs> ride your winning streak as long as you can. It feels a little bit like that is what Solskjaer has done over the past few weeks. And then he's changed it up for the FA Cup semi-final. My question yeah. to you is, why? And do you think it's because he values winning the final two games of the Premier League season to get in the Champions League more than he values winning an FA Cup semi-final?
1: Um, my guess would be that he wouldn't, he certainly wouldn't phrase it that way. My guess would be that he would say he thought maybe he could do both, but I think that he has to change up the formation again further illustrates that he knows that he doesn't have the depth of talent necessary to be able to kind of play the same consistent shape and style, uh, despite like not having Paul Pogba or not having Mason Greenwood, I think that he knows it's going to be Matic and Fred, I think is why he then goes with three center backs. So you have a bit more stability back there that way you don't have Matic dropping in between the two center backs but that leaves, like, Fred as the midfield fulcrum as opposed to Pogba. And I think you could see the lack... We talked about this in the last game with their sort of vertical passing of Paul Pogba, the vertical passing of Bruno Fernandes, and how important that is. And if you know you're not going to get that from Fred, if you know he's not as good, I think you then have to change up your style, which, again, I think speaks to the sort of squad being made up of disparate, disparate managers that you don't have the same style of Pogba does this, his replacement does this, so we can kind of chop and change. And yes, it's yeah, going to be a little bit of a drop-off, but not an entire stylistic uh, difference.
0: So why didn't the the game plan? So the game plan looked like, mm. to me, like 3-4-1-2, with basically Fernandez just a little yeah. bit behind a front two of Rashford mm-hmm. and Danny James, right? Uh, and that, that's the thing that Sasha had tried earlier on this season, right? To have a front two as Rashford and Danny James and then someone, someone behind them. It looked to me like Chelsea just shut it down every time Manchester United tried to build anything.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. I also think that, like, if you look at the channels, like, it's supposed to be Brandon Williams and Marcus Rashford sort of combining down the left. It's supposed to be Aaron Wan Basaka and Daniel James combining down the right. Uh, and in normal times, as we've already talked about, it's Shaw and Rashford and it's Wan Basaka and Greenwood, at least recently. And I think Danny James and Brandon Williams are just not, again, not as good as the people they're replacing. So, I think Williams maybe gets exposed a little bit in this game. Obviously, the second goal is a product of him turning it over and then other factors as well. But I think he isn't able to sort of provide that service to link up with Rashford. And that leaves Rashford pretty isolated. And I think Danny James doesn't combine as well with Aaron Wan-Bissaka. So I think that's why you see that attack be ineffective. And then I think you see Manchester United start to slow it down and try to possess. And I think Chelsea are happy for them to do
0: that. I don't disagree with you because I think Wan-Bissaka is always more of... um, supplement down that right side mm. rather than the attacking thrust right he's not yeah. naturally a really attacking fullback he's much better as maybe the best defensive fullback in the league um and then Brandon Williams on the other side I haven't seen that much from him going forward so similarly right he doesn't provide the attacking thrust that say Luke Shaw does but I think this is more about what Chelsea would doing than it mm. is about what Manchester United were failing to do
1: all right well, let's talk about that then what do you, what did you think Chelsea were doing so effectively
0: I think they quite aggressively pressed Man United whenever they were coming out with the Mm -hmm. ball, right? And just closed down as many options as they could. And then anytime Man United did cut through Chelsea's sort of first line of defending, they would basically, Chelsea would be very happy to commit a foul right? Mm -hmm. Jorginho would just happily kick Bruno Fernandes before he could get the ball over the halfway line and do anything with it. And that that goes for a lot of other Man United attackers and a lot of other Chelsea midfielders and attackers, right? They're really comfortable to foul before Man United get into um, any type of any type of threatening position, right? I would agree.
1: And I think Chelsea in the end, by the end of the game had 20 fouls, no yellow cards. So credit to Mike Dean for uh, refusing to go to the pocket.
0: (laughs) Why credit to him?
1: Uh that's me being a cynical Manchester United fan. Oh, I so. see. Yeah, because yeah. mm-hmm.
0: I, I feel like some warnings wouldn't have been amiss. Because n- none of them mm-hmm. were like horrible fouls. They all looked mm-hmm. kind of not not reckless, like, oh, I was going for the ball, but I was just out of control or something. Yeah. They were definitely more just, all right, you look like you're going somewhere. I'm just going to yep. like clip your ankles and uh, mm-hmm. put a stop to this here. But Then we'll go back and defend it. How about yeah. that? Yeah. absolutely it's it's effective right and yeah Mike Dean I'm sure when Chelsea realized Mike Dean had forgotten where his yellow card was maybe he just couldn't <laughs> locate it then Chelsea are like okay this strategy is 100% gonna work
1: yeah I mean I, I and I think it does to some extent because I think you, that then prevents Manchester United from getting into any sort of fluid rhythm and I think for Chelsea their game plan had a couple different like aspects to it including Olivier Giroud just being incredibly good with his hold-up play yeah. So you sort of Always have him as that outlet, and more often than not, he's either going to try to draw a foul or try to bring that ball down, and I think as the game goes on, he gets more and more successful at that, but always having that out, that then you can try to play it out of the back, you can try to build slowly, but you can sort of look long and trust that he will at the very least cause problems for whichever defender he's occupying.
0: Yeah, I think that's absolutely fair, and I am shocked. This is one of the biggest shocks for me of the entire project restart period. Is that Giroud never looked like replacing Tammy Abraham right in the no. rest of the season, and suddenly Giroud is like, if you were naming a Chelsea starting eleven, you would absolutely name Giroud in it right now. Yeah.
1: I yeah, you, you totally um, would. I think we would have thought, we should mention, we would have thought that maybe that starting eleven would feature Christian Pulisic. Instead, yeah. it's in that sort of 3-4-3, three, three, I'll, I'll go yeah. with, like uh, generally speaking. Uh, you had, from right to left, Willy and Giroux and then Mason Mount. Uh, I was not necessarily surprised Christian Pulisic wasn't in there because he's been playing so much, but then I think you provided a link to an article that indicates that maybe he's got a little bit of an injury. Is that fair to say?
0: Yeah, so it's nothing super serious, but um, there, is, there is a report from this morning, from before the game, right, um, with Frank Lampard. I'm pulling it up now so I can quote Frank Lampard directly. Um, here's what he said, right, about the lineup. This is what he told the BBC. They, Manchester United, are a very strong side and they have obvious threats in attacking areas. But my concern is what can we do? The couple of changes I have made with Christian Pulisic dealing with an injury, I think it's a team that can win the game. So Christian Pulisic, he was still on the bench, right? So it's not a horrific injury, but it definitely is Frank Lampard looking after Christian Pulisic, not playing him when he's injured. But it yeah. also, to me, it draws attention to the fact that Frank Lampard absolutely started his strongest 11, right? Which usually includes Pulisic, but he's injured. Mm-hmm. So instead it includes Mount, Whereas Oleg Gunnar Solskjaer did not. And just in a sort of um, the magic of the FA Cup should be retained kind of way, I think Chelsea deserve to win this game.
1: Yeah, oh no, Uh, there's, uh, yeah, I have no qualms with the way this went down. As I said, I think it could have been way worse. And I think, yeah, anytime you field a weakened team, I think to go to your initial question, I think with all all that we've said so far, it probably is the case that Solskjaer would love to win the FA Cup, but is aware that even if you win this game, you've still got one more to go, and you can risk losing that one, and then at the same time, if you kind of continue to play players, you could risk injury. I would argue that's kind of what he learned from Marcus Rashford this season, is that if you don't have that break, Rashford isn't playing because of his back injury. So maybe he is willing to back it off to make sure that United are in the strongest position possible to qualify for the Champions League. But yeah, then Chelsea are taking it seriously, and going at Manchester United and you see how that goes
0: I want to do a thought experiment with you so sure. Manchester United's next two games are West Ham on Wednesday so that is coming mm. up fast right for a team that's playing an FA Cup final on a Sunday and yep. then it's the Premier League finale against Leicester City so obviously Champions League on the line yeah. uh, the following Sunday wouldn't it have made more sense obviously with hindsight uh, being 2020 to have fielded a weakened team against West Ham who are a much weaker team than Chelsea
1: I think it probably, if you're going with he sees it as a possibility, especially with Leicester losing this weekend, that Manchester United can finish top four, qualify for the Champions League. I'm going to guess that is his number one priority, both from a I would like more players to be signed. And if we're in the Champions League, I think the board will be more likely to do that. But also from a I think that probably looks better on his resume than potentially getting past Chelsea in an FA Cup final.
0: Oh, and that's, that sound is the it's the magic of the that sound is the magic of the mm-hmm. FA Cup leaving. It really I think is. It's,
1: yeah, I think he's he is. This is probably the more pragmatic choice, though. I would say because you still, even if you get past Chelsea, you still have the final against Arsenal. And you've got to win the final to be champions. Whereas you know, I win these two final games, we qualify for Europe. So I think probably he is okay with losing this one. I'm gonna guess he is not okay with the way they lost this one and how sort of lackluster they were at times.
0: Fugle Souto would not be happy about this.
1: <laughs> he would not. He would not. But, uh, you know, I think, I think maybe you resurrect him. You see what happens. He dribbles the ball a <laughs> whole bunch. He introduces passing. And maybe Manchester United would have been a little bit better.
0: <laughs> yeah, he could have been the guy to spray passes around like Pugba, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think he could have maybe reminded people that you can like pass vertically. That would be fine, too. Kick that ball long. See what happens.
0: Well, will tell you, let's take a quick break and then when we get back, we will get sure. into the goals. Uh, the three Chelsea goals at the very least. Yeah, um, that's t- fine. Today's show is sponsored by Artifact, who've been sponsoring us for the past two weeks. Artifact make personal podcasts just Mm. for you. Um, I think if you've been listening for a long time, you've heard all about the two personal podcasts that Taylor and I made, uh, or two that I made, one with Taylor talking all about the Top Sock Show, another with my wife talking about our cancer journey. I don't think we should go over that again because I think people have heard all about it. I would like to focus on what people could do uh, Mm. when they make their own Artifact. Sure, um, yeah, because
1: it's it's a way that you can maybe uh, get stories about your parents or uh, starting a business or any sort of like origin story you want to hear about or any any really thing in between. Uh, one thing that I thought about: uh, uh, my wife is currently pregnant; we're expecting our first child, um, and we had wanted to do a sort of parenting tour prior to the baby being born, of like. Meeting up with some friends who are kind of spread around the country to like, people that we know who are very good parents or who we respect as parents. And we want to hear their kind of approach to parenting and how they've gone about doing it and tips they have and strategies and ways of thinking. Obviously, with coronavirus, we're not going to be doing that. Uh, so maybe that would be a thing that I'd be really interested in is having those people instead just sort of give their thoughts in that format and then let somebody else edit it down. So we get the really, mm-hmm. really useful chucks.
0: So yeah, this is how you would do it. You would go to Artifact, you go to heyartifact.com mm-hmm. and you would essentially commission Artifact um, to get the advice of parents for you, mm-hmm. right? So you, in this case, you probably wouldn't even have to be involved yourself, right? right. So you would have someone from Artifact will call up the parents of your choosing um, and they would explain their parenting tips and then they would, all edit, they would edit it down. So you would have this nice little guide and it would be nice memories for the people um, who have already produced Offspring.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah. I, I may I may actually consider doing that since my wife isn't is not listening. I'm I'm guessing that would be a surprise. Uh, what about you, Daryl? Is there anything you would like to go with?
0: I think one thing I would go with is to get some memories from my nan. Um, so she's mm-hmm. 80, mid 80s, 85, I think right now. She's my last surviving grandparent. And, you know, she lived through World War Two and all kinds of all kinds of other interesting things, both in our town um, and in essentially British history. I would mm. love to get her take on essentially her history and a lot of the stuff that she hasn't told me.
1: Yeah, that, that would be pretty amazing. I yeah. think. Well, I mean, we, we know that uh, like they also can utilize the sound effects and such when they're talking about uh, World War II. We heard that in another audio clip. So, uh, yeah, I, I would go for that with, like, uh, with George providing the sound effects and everything to really bring it to life.
0: <laughs> I don't hear him having like bomb sound effects,
1: <laughs> I mean, it doesn't have to be bombs. <laughs> it could be maybe, maybe she, she worked during the, during the war. I don't know. Maybe there could be some factory noises. I don't she know, Daryl.
0: She did not. She was a, a child. I I suppose back then maybe you could have been sent to work (laughs) (laughs) oh labor laws are funny if people would like to create their own Mm -hmm. artifacts you go to heyartifact.com and if you use our discount code which is TSS you get $40 off your first artifact that's heyartifact.com discount code TSS for $40 off
1: So thank you to Artifact for sponsoring this episode. Now, Daryl, I would love to continue to talk about Artifact so I don't have to talk about Chelsea scoring three goals. But I suppose we should probably get to the actual goals themselves.
0: Let's start with that Giroud goal in the 56th minute of the first half. Um, I also actually want to start with the the broadcast. The broadcast Mm -hmm. does not do, it does not tell you how much added time there is, right? So this wasn't listed on my screen as 45 plus 11. It just comes up as the 56th minute. And I think that misled a few people as to what was going on.
1: Including your co-host. Because I really did have to check to make sure I hadn't... like. I was focused on this game, but you know how there can be those moments where you don't realize you're falling asleep until you wake up and it's been an hour. Like yeah, I yeah. did have a moment of like, did I sleep through the end of the first half and all of the second yeah. half and maybe the first ten minutes of the opening? Like I was very confused. Uh, I, but I also
0: yes. I'm a fan of the sort of ten minute power nap at halftime.
1: <laughs> yep, S- set an alarm and yeah. you're back
0: for the second half, right?
1: I, I was fully planning to do that, and then having felt like I missed it because I was I was sleeping, even though that was not the case. I was a little bit more paranoid. I think I just made coffee <laughs> instead
0: what 's weird is we talked about Manchester United going with that back back three slash mm-hmm. back five. This goal actually comes when Man United are back to a back four, right? Because Eric Bailly gets that head injury for the class right. with Maguire. We actually don't know um, what the status is with Eric Bailly, but we believe he went to hospital, right? So he, uh, he, did, not, uh, he did not look good at the time.
1: Solskjaer has said he is in the hospital. Uh, there yeah. are varying reports as to how immediate that hospitalization was, if it was airlifted versus ambulance, which I guess explains the severity of the incident. But either way, yeah, he is in the hospital um, the way he phrased it was really weird. I'm assuming it's like English as a second language. I think he said something like, yeah, he felt the injury a bit. So he's in the hospital. It's like, you mean the skull injury? He felt that, did he? <laughs> but yes. Uh, Eric by out with injury. Martial comes in. Uh, I think the... Uh, I forget who it was doing the the British commentary but apparently at that he he speculated that 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 might mean a formation change which I think is a safe bet that Anthony Martial was not coming on to play center back.
0: <laughs> yeah so they went back to um a back 4 and it mm-hmm. wasn't long before Chelsea had no. pulled them open. I actually think it, that this has a little bit to do with uh with the goal because my take on this goal and by the way this is Aspilicueta gets free down the right mm-hmm. and crosses in low for Giroud, who has beaten Lindelof to the ball. Um, yep. the build-up to this involves Brandon Williams sort of trying to hold up Willian um, with he look he looks over his shoulder at one point and Matic is just behind him and I think he thinks that Matic has kind of taken up a position at left centre back. Yep. But then as Aspilaquetta starts charging down the right to provide you know an outlet down the down the line pass for Willian, um Matic steps up again, right? He looks like he's trying to get yeah. involved in defensive midfield. I think Williams thinks he has a left center back behind him. Sorry, no, uh, Williams yeah. thinks he has a left center back behind him, and he doesn't. And that's why Aspilicueta has so much space to run into.
1: And I think that is, I would agree with you. And I think you could see when he turns and you see that, like, oh no, like that head down, like, oh, I really got to sprint to try to make this yeah. one up. There's that awareness of, I have gambled, expecting there to be a person behind me, and there is yep. not. And that is not good.
0: And honestly, I semi-blame Matic as well Mm because I think he probably should have... Not that he should go and play left centre-back because now we're in a a 14-3-1 instead, right? But he should have held that position. There was no need for him to go and add an extra man around uh, Willian and Rhys James and Aspilicueta, I don't think.
1: No, and and I think like like the injury and the time that it occurs is certainly a major factor. So I'm not trying to th- throw so much blame, but that also speaks to a lack of communication, that there hasn't yeah. been that sort of team huddle of, okay, we got to do this, we got to change this, that means this, I think. So then to your point, if you look behind you and you see a guy who often drops in and almost plays as a third center back when in possession, if you see him standing behind you, you'll think, oh yeah, he's just kind of seeing this half out as the other center back until we kind of change the formation or figure yeah. it out at halftime. So no, I think that's... That's a great observation. I also think it's a great uh, ball into the box, and I think it's an even it better is. finish from Olivier Giroud.
0: It is a magnificent ball in the box from Aspilaqueta. Yeah. Not the first time we've seen a really, really great cross from Aspilaqueta in these no. in these past few weeks. Giroud does brilliantly here. I've rewatched this Absolutely. a few times. I don't know if you caught the same thing I did. Um, he initially is really frustrated when the early ball doesn't come in from Reese James, and he sort of recycles himself. Mm-hmm. And he gets, I think, between centre-backs, or possibly he's between center back and one Bissaka but what he does do is run across the either back or front of Lindelof and also give him a little push did you notice that yeah he strong arms him and makes sure that he can't catch him up
1: yeah which is a thing that like is not illegal but is right on that line and that's a thing that a veteran like Giroux is going to know how to get away with yeah. because at that point it just looks like oh yeah he's a big guy big guys use their size as long as it's not like a shove in the back we'll let that one go and obviously mike dean was letting things go so i think that is probably an awareness of the way this game has been called the way it's been officiated and the way i like to play all kind of sync up so that i can utilize my physicality to <laughs> cause even more problems for the center back
0: Does it make you rethink Lindelof's role in this goal? Because it did for me. When I initially saw it, I thought, oh, Lindelof's kind of switched off there, Mm -hmm. right? Um, I mean, that's
1: what I tweeted. It reminded me of the Addison Merritt goal in the NWSL playoffs, (laughs) that like, if you just switch off for a minute thinking like, oh, yeah, uh, I'm goal side of this person, no big deal, that ball's not. Oh, no, there's a player out wide in space, and now the
0: ball's coming in, I'm in trouble. So do you you rethink that when you know that Giroud has gone past him and then pushed him?
1: No, honestly, no, because that's also like, that's the dark arts of the game. And I would expect a centre-back to know that that's happening, especially a centre-back that you've spent most of the first half physically grappling with. you sort of got to know that that's coming. It's part and parcel of defending. So I think, if anything, it shows that he is switched off a little bit, that he's not as alive to the scenario and the danger that's being presented.
0: Fair enough. Um, But then we have the great finish from Giroud, right? He meets it at the near post, and I want to say left-footed, Um, Instead of trying to smash it inside that near post, which David Mm -hmm. De Gea has covered, he flicks it to the far post, which I think is a really clever move and kind of risky, right? Just because Mm -hmm. it's hard to pull off. De Gea gets a hand to it, but not enough of a hand and it trickles over the line. And what I'm driving at here is a lot of people blame De Gea here. I blame Olivier Giroud for scoring this goal.
1: Yeah, I was really surprised by that because... This, to me, looked like it's a point-blank sort of situation off of a ball that's pinged in. David De Gea is reacting to it, and then it's an amazing touch from Olivier Giroud that I think he absolutely knows what he's doing. I think he's aware that that near post is covered. If he just puts laces into it or like puts a full shot on it, he's probably just going to hit it near post. It's either going to go wide or be saved. But the deafness of the flick and the change of direction, you can see David De Gea is leaning into that near post. He's put his weight on his left foot and is then just not able to get back across. And maybe he could have done better, but I think it's because he gets that hand to it and then it slowly goes in. It looks all the more insulting in that way. But I don't really think it, it's as much David am making a mistake as it is Olivier Giroud just being very good and worth yeah. noting. He is also the one, I think Rudiger uh, pings the ball long because Chelsea are sort of in possession in their defence, but there's not much on. He pings it long. Giroud wins it in the air and keeps that play alive and then finishes on the end of it. It felt like a very representative of what he was doing this entire game sort of goal.
0: Yeah, he's playing as if there is an international tournament coming. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Even though there's not. But, but give it some time and we'll, we'll get there. Um, all right. So David De Gea, I think, does have to take some blame for it, the second goal, which Chelsea scored personal. just after <laughs> halftime.
1: Right. It felt personal to me because I think at halftime, I was like, I don't think that's like people are so mad at De Gea. I really don't think that's necessarily his fault. Maybe he could do better, but I think it's it's more a better finish than it is a yeah. goalkeeping mistake.
0: I, just to under, to underline that again, I would argue that if De Gea had just been completely wrong footed and Giroud flicked it to the far post without De Gea touching it. Yeah. I think everyone would be saying, yes. oh, there was nothing De Gea could do from close range.
1: I agree with you. But here's my mistake, is that I went back and watched that a couple times and I made the fatal error of that not then catching up to the live game. And then I went to get that coffee. And as I was pouring it, I saw your text of like, I forget what it was, but it was basically like, that one might be his fault. And I was like, <laughs> oh no. <laughs> so I walked back into the room to see that second goal. And yeah, it felt like he heard me sort of defend him at halftime and was like, don't do don't worry. <laughs> There'll be no defending this one.
0: <laughs> so let's do the whole goal. Um, sure. It definitely, definitely starts with Brandon Williams. Yes, it does. Uh, Manchester United left back. It also starts with really good pressure from, I think it's William, uh, yeah. putting Brandon Williams under really a lot of pressure, right? So William had a really good game here, by the way. Um, and, and,
1: and I would add, I totally agree with you. And that pressure again, it's, it's the sort of the physical defending but knowing the exact line because yeah. it's not just that he, he kind of squares up to Brandon Williams and Brian, Brandon Williams turns and sort of plays a bad pass. It's, he does that and makes Brandon Williams turn, but then as soon as Brandon Williams is facing the wrong way, it's a touch on the shoulder and a touch on the side. And he's he just makes his presence very, very much known. And that harassing presence can really cause a player to panic, especially if suddenly they know they're facing the wrong way, they're not doing what they need to be doing. And I think Brendan Williams is so desperate to try to make a pass to keep possession alive that he sort of gambles and gets it very much wrong.
0: He It's such a gamble, this pass like, into the center of the field that Mason Mount picks off, that I still mm. can't tell who it's intended for like it might be for Lindelof it might be for Fred I but it definitely was for Mason Mount so yes (laughs) and also you'll know this is a Man United fan is Williams left-footed
1: I think he is yes
0: so he plays this with his right I'm pretty sure Mm -hmm. so yeah this is again they've put him in a really bad situation
1: here it is I believe yeah non-dominant foot it is to a player that he is open when he sees the play I think it is Lindelof and is open in that moment but is sort of open flat-footed and is like more or less the last defender uh and so and then it's a hospital sort of lofted ball it really is a lot of the worst case scenario when you're playing a ball that's going to get picked off and I think we've both had that moment playing of like oh no this is not (laughs) gonna go well I have made a mistake uh I guess he gets bailed out a little bit by David De Gea's inability to block the ball
0: he really does because everybody yep. forgets what just happened, right? Indeed. So yeah, Mason Mount collects it. It's really great from Mason Mount, right? As this is bad news for us as Pulisic fans. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mason Mount just takes a couple touches to advance, and I think just as he's getting closed on, he hits what I think is a really, really nice shot because it's got just a tiny yeah. bit of bend on it, and it's bouncing along the floor, right? So he keeps it low, keeps it bouncing, gives it a bit of swerve. It's difficult to deal with, but it definitely should be saved.
1: It it's it's only difficult to deal with if you are not dealing with it correctly and i think that's what <laughs> david hayes is doing i think he's trying to catch the ball and i think he doesn't really rate the speed the ball is coming at him. I think he probably isn't really paying attention to that swerve and the dip that's happening. It looks to me like David De Gea expects this to be like like nice try kid and like smother it and catch yeah. it cleanly. And like uh you put the hat on the head and it's India an Indiana Jones moment. Uh and really I think he's just so casual. You can see from the reverse angle where uh, from behind Mason Mount's shoulder, he just looks completely like, I got this, no big deal. Yeah. And then like the eyes instantly widen as like, oh nope, that went yep. right through my hands. This is is not good
0: and much like Trump he ends up being (laughs) short-fingered he does not get enough of his hands behind it if he was Bulgarian we could call him a short-fingered Bulgarian unfortunately (laughs) he's not
1: I like you Daryl Grove I like you a lot and that and this one is there's no defending it I mean yes it's a fine shot from Mason Mount but it's still the shot from distance it just if anything reminds me of those early moments that David De Gea had when teams were just cranking shots at him from distance because it seemed like that was his big area of vulnerability, yeah. it seems like maybe that's an area of vulnerability yet
0: again. <laughs> Do you have much to say about the third goal? This no, the just that I think... Goal for Chelsea.
1: I think that of the three, the commentators seem to paint this one as like, he is having a horror show. Uh, this is the oh, one that have? I think is, is yeah. least his fault, because it's not even a Chelsea goal. It go, I mean, it is a goal, but it's not—it's an own goal off of Harry Maguire, and yeah. it's just sort of scrappy defending. If anything, I think it's a combination of Manchester United not adapting, because it's very similar to the first goal. It's a ball from out wide, it's pinged in, there's a scramble. This time, instead of it being Giroud, it's Manchester United's own defender. But it's more of the same in a way that indicates it hasn't really been dealt with, whereas Chelsea have identified that as a yeah. potential vulnerability with the formation change that Manchester United uh, underwent.
0: I, I also I appreciate Rudiger celebrating this oh, as yeah. he scored it. I oh, say yeah. go for it. I say go for it, Rudiger.
1: I feel bad for him only because with the professional game, there are 700 cameras that will sh- clearly show it's not his goal. Yeah. Whereas... In any other in any other league where there's not TVs on, that he he gets the goal, right? He's the <laughs> yes. he's the hero. Yeah,
0: <laughs> absolutely. Um, so um, I've forgotten who it is that is brought down by Callum hudson Doy for the the Fernandez penalty. I'm sure uh, you, Martial. Martial's brought down mm-hmm. Fernandez. It's even when he scores, it's definitely yep. too late, right? I kind of remember mm-hmm. thinking, oh, if only this had been earlier, we'd have a game yep. on our hands. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I mean, and I think again that is where. The frustration that Manchester United fans feel for David De is is like further exacerbated by if it's 2-1 to one at that point and you score a penalty, you've still got those 10 minutes. It feels like, OK, maybe they can get something going. But when you don't have much faith in your goalkeeper to, uh, to bail you out in those moments and you already are now two goals behind even with that penalty, yeah, I think you never really see Manchester United have that spark, have that maybe belief that they can fight back and get an equaliser.
0: So it's going to be... Chelsea versus Arsenal in the Mm -hmm. FA Cup final, which is going to be, by the way, August the first. August the first is the FA Cup final. Arsenal versus Chelsea. We might have an American playing in the FA Cup final, um, assuming Christian boots plays in this game. It really will be. It would. Um, With all due respect to Arsenal, who you know, I think you can probably tell from the if you've listened to the show that I'm a fan of what Arteta is trying to do at Arsenal. Mm -hmm. I'm very much enjoying it. But there's no doubt for me that that would, I like to watch soccer as a neutral, but I do like having a rooting interest when it's U.S. men's national team related. So that would give me a chance to sit down for an FA Cup final and be able to support a team basically for the first time in my life. (laughs) Because Wolves Wolves have only been as far as the semis while I've been
1: around. Oh, yeah. Wow. All right. Did you, because he wasn't in the game today, did you still feel a little bit of that pull of like, but if they do win, maybe he'll be in the final? Or was it not as big of a factor? No. Yeah cuz okay. he wasn't
0: there I was just thinking it also just wasn't that enjoyable a game right so there I watched it as a neutral who was going to yeah. analyze it later yeah
1: yeah and, and and I think sometimes when when like Manchester United lose the way they did it's easy to focus on what they got wrong and not necessarily focus on what Chelsea got right But I also think Chelsea weren't very exciting, especially in that first half themselves. And it is that sort of moment that they capitalize upon to get that goal. And it's a great finish from Giroud. It's good hard work from Willian. But I don't think necessarily, this is not the same as it was to me yesterday where Mikel Arteta, I think, rolls the tactical dice, but really thinks he's figured it out. And I think his game plan works. I think this is sort of Frank Lampard making changes that he needed to make, but still playing the strongest team he could. And And it worked out well, but I don't think he necessarily did anything particularly brilliant to make this result occur?
0: I mean, I would say this, that normally I think of Chelsea under Lampard as a risk-taking, almost naively attacking team um, who don't put too much thought or they don't think first about their defensive game plan. And the evidence of especially the first half with the constant fouling at midfield suggests that Lampard and this Chelsea team have a bit more... um, successful cynicism about them than I realized. All
1: right, yeah, I I can agree with that. I think it's still then, like, I think I still feel weird because we're still talking about them from from a perspective of Manchester United were really poor and Chelsea did some nice fouling. But yes, I I think you're absolutely right. that is what happened, right? Yeah, and that (laughs) is the approach you have to take. I mean, see the NWSL playoffs that we're going to get to in a moment. Uh, Yeah, sometimes (laughs) you've got to be cynical to get that result.
0: Before we get to those final two NWSL Mm quarterfinals, Taylor, today's show is sponsored by... Manscaped, Manscaped sure has got you all set up for summer. If you want to have a shaved chest and show it off while you run around, I've seen people doing that in the streets of Richmond, Virginia. Mm-hmm. Then Manscaped um, is one way that you could get that that hairless, to- hairless upper torso.
1: Which is not, like, necessarily a thing that I am looking to do, except that uh, I think at one point today in the middle of this game, I saw a tweet that the feels-like temperature in Richmond was 105 degrees. Uh, and maybe at that point, the if you can get all that body hair off of you, maybe that's a cooling thing, right? The, the I, less hair on the body, the less insulation you have.
0: I think, just out of loyalty to our sponsor, long-time uh-huh. sponsor, Manscaped, that you should do a full body grooming um, courtesy of Manscaped and run around the streets of Richmond. Do you have any speedos? Do, do you have any speedos you can run in?
1: How do you know I haven't already, Daryl? I am, I am, I am completely hairless and oiled as well. I'm shiny and I can slither wherever I want.
0: That is not. If only that were true, Taylor.
1: It is not. I am, <laughs> I am as hairy as I ever have been with my my large beard. I did shave the beard off and uh, use manscape products to then groom mm. like you know the nose hair and everything like that that you might need. Uh, but then I regrew it pretty quickly because my <laughs> face looks weird without a beard
0: fair enough fair enough Mm. so if you are going to go the full body shave uh, or the torso shave (laughs) you should use the lawnmower Mm 3.0 if you're gonna if you're gonna take care of your nails you could use the shears 2.0 did we get one of these or not i can't remember
1: we did i we we did indeed i have used mine because uh i've learned many things from my wife in the course of our marriage but one of those is that like I used to just think, well, I'm not biting my nails. And that's what I'm not supposed to be doing, right? So, like, I would have these very long nails that I was like, but I'm not biting them. I'm doing the right thing. And she's like, you can still groom them, though. <laughs> like, and that's, and that's the thing I've learned. And, and it is the, like, the four-piece nail kit is exactly what you need. You've got the clippers. You've got the thing to dig out any crud from under your nails, which nobody needs. You don't need grossness under your nails. Uh, you've got a file in thing? there to smooth it out. Uh, I'm gonna guess it would be the rounded point. No, the fingernail, the medium grit nail file maybe is the one, uh, that you you can go with. But it's got I'm the, gonna-
0: I'm going to call it the crud digger.
1: The crud digger, and the yeah, yeah you don't need a toe knife. You don't want to be Frank from Always Sunny. <laughs> don't use a, a bladed object to get this done because that leads to a botched toe or a botched finger.
0: <laughs> yeah, the, all the manscaped products are are constructed to a much higher specification than Frank's toe knife.
1: <laughs> oh, man. The episode where he on family, where they're on Family Feud and he tries to answer that for a, na- a, na- a name, a name, a product you use to groom your body. And Keegan Michael uh, Key's reaction to that is terrific. Uh, also, <laughs> terrific is that you can get 20% off and free shipping with the code TSS20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping uh, using the code TSS20 at manscaped.com.
0: Summer is here. It's time to manscape.
1: Indeed, indeed. Uh, and on that note, let's talk NWSL playoffs, shall we?
0: All right. Where would you, so we've already talked, uh, if you're looking for our, our uh, North Carolina Courage and mm-hmm. Portland Thorns coverage, um, along with our Houston Dash and Utah Royals coverage, that is on Saturday's show, right, with the Arsenal Man City game. Today we are talking Washington Spirit, Sky Blue FC, OL Reign versus Chicago Red Stars, nil, 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 nil.
1: Um, and before we get to the actual games, I would just like to go with. We had a little bit of this yesterday with the uncertainty around the terminology. It is a knockout portion of a competition. I am okay with the knockout round. I am okay with playoffs. Uh, I know that is probably not the technical term. What was it? The qualification round was the what they referred to as like the the initial phase.
0: Yeah, well, it was going to be a qualification round, right? Because yeah. before Orlando Pride were. Uh you know not mm-hmm. safe to go to the tournament yeah um it was going to be nine teams and eight went through yeah so yeah i don't know what we're calling the group stage but the the <laughs> the i guess it's just a seeding stage right at this point yeah but it doesn't matter mm-hmm. we got we got to what i'm calling the quarterfinals um Fair. first first game i want to talk about is mm-hmm. washington spirit i guess we'll do this chronologically yep. washington spirit versus sky blue fc Again, this, this one finished nil-nil. Um, Sky Blue won 4-3 on penalty kicks. Here's my first take, Taylor. Sure. We bemoaned the quality of the Houston-Utah Royals game. It really wasn't a great game of football. Even the penalties no. were not high quality. This one, even though it was nil-nil, there was much better football being played and the penalties were much, much better.
1: Uh, I think I agree. I think the the Houston-Utah game was a bit more exciting just because it was a bit more frenetic. It was a bit more end-to-end in my mind, whereas this one felt, both of these, to be honest, felt pretty slow. There were some definitely some, like, more direct play as the game went on in both games. But I did feel like, especially for the Spirit, missing Andy Sullivan and then obviously only having Rose Lavelle for the final 30 minutes, it seemed like their sort of creativity and connections were off a little bit. Um, and and I think that that was, was pretty clear in how they weren't able to create many consistent attacking opportunities. Um, so I think that's part of it. I think, and then... Yeah, I, I just I felt like we could have maybe got a little bit more exciting end to end play than maybe we like we did against uh, or for Utah and Houston.
0: Fair enough, fair enough. Um, let, let's let's go with the Andy Sullivan point first. Sure. Right? So you talked to Kim McCauley about mm. how do Washington Spirit replace Andy yeah. Sullivan, and Kim's take was basically you don't because no one's as good as her. <laughs> right. uh, what What Spirit tried was to go with two defensive midfielders. Um, I believe it was Dorian Bailey. Um, and Natalie Jacobs Mm -hmm. Um, and I think Kim's right right neither of them offers the sort of passing range or the tempo setting that Andy Sullivan does I think that's Mm -hmm. a big part of what Washington spirit we're missing
1: yeah yeah I I think that is that is dead on I also do think that the goalkeeping performances unlike David De Gea have been consistently very very good Kaelin Sheridan Um,
0: was magnificent in this game
1: Yeah, and uh, Meg Linehan writing for The Athletic, like that was sort of, I think, her big takeaway from this weekend's games was that you had strong goalkeeping performances across the board, and that is a big reason why teams were able to even make it to the the shootouts is because of those sort of clutch saves, those clutch moments. Uh, Spirit do hit the post at least once, maybe twice in this game, so (laughs) maybe bailed out a little bit there, Uh, but I thought goalkeeping uh, factors into this one pretty considerably as well.
0: Yeah, the one that stands out um, with Sheridan is the Ashley Sanchez a uh, header and there's yeah. like a full stretch mm-hmm. sh- full stretch save at yeah. the far post and then the other one is the Tory Huster chance do you know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. It's like a shot from distance that Houston just decides nah we won't let this be a shot I'm going to control it instead <laughs> so Houston mm-hmm. with one touch controls it and it's basically Eye to eye with Kaylin Sheridan, right? Right in front yeah. of her. Sheridan charges out and blocks it. I thought, do you know what? I'm going re- to change it. I think that's the best save of the game.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's fair. Because that's, was that like the 42nd minute? Was it first half?
0: I think it was second half. I'm not 100% okay. sure Okay,
1: she, she, she has a big save on Sheridan in the 42nd minute, which stood out to me because then one minute later, she's off her line because uh, Kumi Yokoyama is played in. And even that is sort of a breakaway. It's from an angle, but Yokoyama could have easily finished that one on Sheridan. I think times it really well, is off of her line, and just kind of cleanly picks that ball up. And it felt like in a couple of minutes that could have gone a very different way, her stability allowed it to stay nil-nil into the half.
0: And then, at the other end you had the the big chance that stood out to me was Anamonu's uh, header mm-hmm. where it's kind of it's kind of on target and that she's yeah. definitely trying to head it into the floor to bounce in but yeah. she i don't know what I don't know if it's a turf thing or whatever, but she bounces it right over the bar which is extremely I mean, she, yeah. frustrating.
1: I mean, as a striker, it's the age-old thing. You're taught to, if you're rising to meet the ball in the air, you want to head down. You always yeah. want to put it down, not just because that means you're going to put it on frame, but because it's harder for a goalkeeper to sort of deal with a ball changing that trajectory like that and having to get down low. She just does that sort of thing that I think a lot of strikers have done. I'm sure that Aja has done it, is tries to go two down and instead heads it almost straight down, and then it bounces over the bar. And You can see the sort of, like, oh no, that was the chance. I may have ruined this moment. <laughs> Luckily for her, that doesn't end up being the case.
0: And before we get to some um, like bigger picture things about this game, mm-hmm. I think it's also worth noting the, uh, the performance of um, Sky Blue's defensive midfielders. Um, I always forget, because she's not a national team regular zaboni mm. is just yep. an absolute monster <laughs> yeah and not just in her team talks which are always referenced but in terms of her <laughs> just going and getting stuck into people right yeah. so she was yeah. really was really making things happen in midfield assisted ably by jennifer cujo right who did her mm-hmm. fair share of tackling as well so i think that's part of why part of why washington struggled to break down sky blue is those two defensive midfielders but part of it again is that rose lavelle only played one third of this game rose lavelle mm. who We've talked about it before. Might be the best uh, player in the world. He's definitely mm-hmm. one of the premier attacking midfielders in all of world soccer.
1: Yeah, uh, she only gets thirty minutes in this one, and as has been reported extensively, it's because there are like player limitations, there are load restrictions from US uh, soccer about what certain national team players or national team players in general are allowed to play. Uh, the Pertinent information would be Ellie Maybury, the U.S. Women's National Team performance coach, and Julian Hay, an applied sports scientist for the NWSL and U.S. Women's National Team, are both inside the NWSL bubble. They are advising NWSL teams on non-national team players, but then sort of telling NWSL, NWSL teams the minutes that are allowed to be played by certain players so that they're not overworked. Um, and So that,
0: let me, uh, let me ask you a big question mm-hmm. about this, Tyler. Is yeah. this a U.S. soccer mandate is this that u.s soccer knew this tournament was coming and said okay but we're really concerned about women's national team players we're not going to let you play them above a certain number of minutes
1: yes but only because the players themselves asked u.s soccer to yes have that that's approach. what i'm
0: driving at i want to know where yeah. this yeah. comes from right because yeah. it would almost be sabotaging the tournament if it was a u.s soccer decision
1: Right. Uh, in that same uh, like weekend review Meg Linehan put out for The Athletic, there's a quote from Becca Rue, the executive director of the U.S. Women's National Team Players Association. It's a lengthy one, but I'm going to read it in its entirety. In addition to the COVID-19 risks, one, uh, one other major health and safety risk with the NWSL Challenge Cup that we identified was potential for injuries, especially given the circumstances of shelter-in-place orders, a short preseason, games on turf, and short rest tournament format. Therefore, the players asked for USSF uh, sports scientists to be involved in individually customized load management plans. This request was not about general load management for 2020, but rather for injury prevention, given the general circumstances and the specific injury history and current condition of each player worth noting Rose Lavelle, missed a lot of time last season obviously due to the world cup but also due to injuries she has had kind of consistent injury concerns and so i think she more than a lot of other players was one that was maybe concerned about a lot of minutes in a short amount of time without much warm-up without much training and what that could do for her in her long-term career i'm gonna guess she was okay with those 30 minutes even if she's not okay with the spirit going out uh, as early as they did
0: i'm not sure how i feel about this I'm really That's not. Like, I understand fair. that if you're a high profile player, then your long term health is really important mm-hmm. to you. But at the same time, there's a question about whether you're like way more committed to your women's national team career than you are to your Washington Spirit career. Right. This is a quarterfinal mm-hmm. of, of a tournament. If it was me, I kind of would have just wanted to play.
1: Well, then I think if you want to go down that road, you have to go like an even deeper level of should the tournament be happening at all? And I think (laughs) that is I mean, that is an issue, though, is that like I think you're absolutely right that if this is just normal NWSL playoffs at the end of the season and it's Rose Lavelle saying, yeah, I don't really know if I want that. Like I've played a lot for the national team. I'm a little bit worried versus this sort of specific situation of being Not necessarily forced, but there is this tournament. It's in strange situations. Some players can opt out. Some players chose not to. I think you're right that players always want to play. And I think maybe that's where this comes from is I want to play, but I don't want to be overworked and overutilized because I'm our key performer. So I want somebody else to maybe help out. You could argue that maybe she as an individual could have said, hey, I'm not comfortable with the amount of minutes you're going to be looking to play me. But it probably is always safe to have the U.S. Soccer Federation step in for you.
0: Oh, so this is like, because it's agreed before the tournament starts, mm-hmm. you're not forced to make a decision in the moment, right? Because you've right. almost handed over control of your minutes to a third party to protect yeah. yourself. It's a little bit like if you've had a friend persuade you to just go out for one drink, yeah. but you know that that friend will push for more drinks, mm-hmm. you just leave your car keys at home.
1: Yeah, you know I, <laughs> I, would, I would even go so far as to say like, but if you had like... An authoritarian figure in charge of both of you who is like, OK, we're, you, they are permitted to go for one drink. But at the end of that one drink, there will be no more drinks. And even if you, Daryl, then were like, yeah, I'm actually having a good time. I wouldn't mind staying out for one more. You have already pre-agreed to go home after the one. Yeah, that's sort of where I would say it is.
0: OK, so I I think it makes more sense to me now knowing that mm-hmm. Rose Lavelle couldn't override it and it was agreed beforehand because here's the other thing. There are already a lot of players missing yeah. from this tournament, right? I, um, I look at uh, Sky Blue. Correct me if I'm wrong. Sky Blue normally have Mallory Pugh and mm. Carly Lloyd to correct call on. So those two U.S. Women's National Team players who didn't choose not to play—they were just straight up injured, right? So, um, what I'm driving at is maybe the some of the lack of attacking talent, the lack mm. of finishing, um, in these three quarterfinals is maybe about who's not there.
1: Yeah, I think that's probably true broadly speaking i do also think we we were having this conversation on yesterday's show about like are we seeing the depth of nwsl that you have so many talented players that even if you are missing your starting two goalkeepers your third string goalkeeper is more than capable that might be the case in certain instances but i think we're also seeing that there is a lack of top tier goal scores in the yeah. league when you do have the players that have abstained abstaining and then maybe when you have players like sam kerr departing which gets to chicago i'm not sure if we want to get there yet
0: well do you want to talk about any of the uh, the penalty kicks in spirit versus sky blue
1: The only one I want to talk about uh, are the two – the last two. I would like to talk about Elizabeth Eddy and I'd like to talk about Bailey Feist. Okay. Uh, Elizabeth Eddy for Sky Blue. I liked her so much because I am a big believer in if you know what you're doing. Like Bruno Fernandez does that sort of weird run up and then the Joseph Martinez like hop and then finish as you land. Yeah. But if you know – what you're doing, and that is a thing that you've practiced and feel comfortable with, then you're just sort of doing your routine. And I like players that Step have a up simple and routine. Exactly. And Elizabeth Eddy marked her steps like a like a place kicker. Like she did <laughs> three steps back, two steps over, and then like adjusted her form. Like I feel like she has been a place kicker or something like that. And then I just like that she had it so regimented that her finish was that calm. For Bailey Feist, I felt so bad because she has the winner in their last game. She's the hero of that one, and yet I'm going to assume she will remember this tournament for missing the final penalty. And insult to injury, Galen Sheridan, we've already sung her praises, but she catches this final one, which yes. I think it was a lot of the penalties. You could see the indecision, and I think, again, you had players going for placement over power. But if your placement isn't as accurate as you need it to be, and I don't think Bailey Feist was— Then it looks all the worse because it's to the keeper's position where they can just catch it easily. And that's exactly what Sheridan does. She catches this ball and then falls to the ground. That would be an insult to injury way to end this one. But it's a credit to Sheridan's overall performance for sure.
0: (laughs) Adding a catch to insult to injury. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So congrats to Sky Blue FC. Mm -hmm, Remember, not so long ago, they were the laughing stock of the league. Now they're in the Mm -hmm. semifinals of the Challenge Cup. Um, there you go congrats also to Chicago Red Stars who yeah. go through after a 4-3 penalty kick win over Rain. Mm-hmm. that game finished 0-0 can, you, can we did. tie one thing up uh, clear one thing up as well mm-hmm. am I correct and keep saying OL Rain, or am I supposed to be saying Olympique Rain?
1: OL Rain is what I've heard
0: ok me too it just feels slightly odd to me yeah. I also want to call them Seattle I think you could just
1: call them Rain or Seattle Rain. I don't, yeah whatever yeah, I mean. know what you mean knockout yeah. round elimination round qualifying round who knows
0: <laughs> so, yeah, again, no, no. Um, yeah. Any particular reasons that stand out to you um, well, as to why this is no, no? First, I want to say I
1: did not watch this game live. I did watch it this morning. And I did, uh, when I'm not watching a game live, Daryl, you have persuaded me to sort of know what happened to then watch it and be able to have the emotion removed so yeah. that I can just sort of be like, okay, yeah I know what I'm getting into as a I, professional like, thing,
0: not, getting- not as a joy thing.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and I will say that when I looked it up, I saw 4 3. And I was like, okay, we've got goals. This is going to be exciting. And then I read the article, and it was like, three round penalties after another no-no draw. I don't think they inserted another in the match report, but I certainly will. Uh, so that was a little bit of a letdown. Uh, but then I think with that in mind, knowing it was going to be a no-no draw, I think I actually kind of got more out of it, at least from a standpoint of why I think this game uh, failed to produce any goals. And I think, again, it's a lack of top-end talent when it comes to the attack. Uh, the Red Stars are still obviously not able to reproduce what uh, Sam Kerr offered them. them. Yeah, you know how they could think...
0: do it is to just get it back. That's the only way well, you reproduce what Sam <laughs> Kerr <Kirk> can offer.
1: <laughs> Uh, I think, but I think it's a uh, lack of Sam Kerr certainly is a part of it, and then I think for Lil Rain, uh, Fishlock returns. Just Fishlock uh, returns. But I think this is uh, last game where her first minutes since she suffered the ACL injury, it hasn't been the ACL injury; it's been a calf strain. I think that kept her out. But even with her returning and being like a number ten in a four-two-three-one, you still don't have that sort of repetition that you might need to have her be that creative fulcrum yeah. that you might be looking for her to be. You don't get full uh, so, Fishlock. No, you don't. And so instead, I think you get a cautious approach. When you've already got knockout round, you've already got players missing for a variety of reasons. Uh, I think it lends itself to let's be cautious, let's slow it down. And again, it seemed like there were moments when a vertical pass could have happened or a more sort of direct pass in could have been on. And instead it was, I'm going to cut it back and make sure we sort of retain possession. And I think both teams were so focused on not conceding anything cheaply they were almost more focused on that than they were on creating opportunities for themselves
0: yeah i mean i'd also add in that rapino is not at this tournament for yep. rain i mean i'm sure she Certainly. would have crafted a couple of chances from set pieces or you know from a clever pass or a cross from mm. out wide she might have been what what rain needed um, instead yeah. instead they go in home and I think
1: she also, at the very least, would have provided more legs, and maybe that would have allowed fatigue to be slightly reduced. Uh, Farid ben the the rain coach, complained. I think it was uh, like, like the sideline reporter was saying that he was talking about how there wasn't sort of enough movement. The players weren't showing as frequently and as readily as he would like to see and as he was expecting, and I think that's the same for Chicago. And I'm also going to assume that that is tournament fatigue, uh, heavy yeah. legs, and then the knockout round. You're not going to, like kill yourself and then get out of position and then have to kill yourself to get back into position and eventually you just sort of wear down to, in the FIFA uh, sort of situation, you, you're just red barred the whole time. Yeah. You, you have no more, so, no more energy in there.
0: It's worth noting that these are a lot of games in a short space of time. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. On turf, which really is yep. tougher on your legs, right? I mean, I know Certainly. I'm not a pro, but every time I play on turf, it hurts mm. a lot more the next day than when I play on grass, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you're also playing at an elevation of 4,750 feet.
1: Not 450 feet, right?
0: No, I mean, but it's a really high elevation, right? I know it's yep. not quite um, El Paz, but it's still, it's still a, like less oxygen than if you're playing at ground level, right? Yep. And also it gets up to 92 degrees or 90 plus degrees pretty much every day um, yep. in, I think it's Sandy, Utah is where this, where this stadium is, right? Yep. So that's a lot of games back to back on a very tough surface at high elevation in the heat. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: After being quarantined in shelter in place for months. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I think, I so think there, are, which again goes to the should this be happening? But, you know, whatever. It is. So here we are. Yeah. Uh, but we do then, regardless of all of that, end up in penalties. Oh, be- before
0: uh- we talk penalties, uh-huh. I just want to talk about Kaylee O'Watt. Do you know, sure. do you know this uh, this opportunity I'm talking about? No. So I can't remember the minute, but Kaylee O'Watt nearly scores. Um, just an absolute wonder goal you know that goal where George Best playing for the San Diego Sockers just mm-hmm. keeps cutting and dribbling through about 50 people mm-hmm. um, and JJ Ococha dribb-
1: the greatest soccer goal you're ever likely to see <laughs> yes mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> JJ is that what the commentator said JJ Ococha uh, yeah. cutting and cutting and cutting through the Bayern Munich defence before scoring past Oliver Kahn um, mm-hmm. she, she only beats three people but Kaylee Lee really does like cut and dribble and cut and dribble and cut um, and she basically ends up at the top of the six yard box through her own magnificent dribbling and then she goes to put it in the bottom left corner and drags it just wide so i think i mean that's perfect evidence of like the not quite 100 percent level that we're at here right because of Mm -hmm. maybe a lack of a proper preseason, um, and because of all the uh the fatigue elements that we mentioned before that players are not quite capable of doing everything perfectly
1: uh she does then convert her penalty so i'm sure she'll at least take that away that she put (laughs) the ball in the net when it absolutely mattered
0: so what else did you notice from penalties taylor
1: um, I, I love, like, there's the Happy Gilmore thing of, like, oh, I'll just aim for the hole every time. That's way easier. <laughs> and I like that the Red Stars were just like, oh, upper 90? That, we could just do that every time? Okay, we'll just do that. Because <laughs> you do have three of the four go top right corner, and then the third, uh, from Kaylee Watt, I believe, goes sort of top left corner. So I thought the, the accuracy was pretty solid. I thought the biggest thing for me was the contrast and starts. You have Shirley Cruz, Step Up, uh, Four Rain, and... It just—it's it, it, the thing I've already talked about. It's like you can see the indecision as she's approaching it. She leans back, she misses the goal entirely, but she insteps it. There's still not a lot of power behind it. That's the way rain start. And then Julie Ertz steps up and hits that ball as hard as you can. Yes. And I always go back to uh, Owen Hargraves in the Champions League final. When you absolutely want to make a statement of intent and you just crush that ball top corner and then walk away like, yeah, that's no big deal. (laughs) Like, that is just the absolute contrast in starts. And I think it sets Chicago up for every single one of their players. Picks a spot, bangs the ball into that spot. There's power behind it. It is like Well-picked, they're very precise finishes, but I think Julie Ertz gets it going, and then they finish out. I think—I don't know if Danny Colaprico—I can't even remember if she was still on the field or so if she would have been a penalty taker, but I did love that as they're all celebrating, you can see her very quickly— pretty much mime that she did not want to take a penalty and was very happy it went the way it did. So I just I know that feeling as well of like, oh, I'm next in line. I'm really hoping it doesn't get to me. Uh, and you never want to be in that position. It felt like uh, Ertz, DiBernardo, Watt, and Hill all took the approach of I want to be here and I'm going to prove it by rifling these opportunities.
0: Am I getting my games mixed up? Or is it, in? The, I know it's Lauren Barnes takes the final penalty mm-hmm. and misses. Is it, does Lauren Barnes hit the post? I'm not she getting does. that confused with the other game. Okay. You are not. Mm-mm. Oh, no, uh, the, yeah, the and, other game is all about catching the ball, right? Yeah. So Lauren Barnes hits, hits the post, yes. and it looks for a second like it's going to bounce in off the post, yes. but instead it goes back out the other way.
1: It does. And Alyssa Neyer then, like, I, I love that her teammates go to mob her. And I think she's already sort of unemotional. She's not going to get overly hyped. We saw that uh, in the Women's World Cup last year. Yeah. But I think also given that the it's the case that the first one is missed and the last one, or misses the goal entirely and the last one hits the post. She also, I think, is like, yeah, I don't really know if I get credit for any of this. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, all right, so congrats to the teams that went through. The mm-hmm. semifinals are on Wednesday. We have a 12th Thursday... Twelve thirty. I'm sure we'll mm. be twelve thirty. Twelve thirty Eastern game. Certainly will be <laughs> Portland Thorns against Houston Dash, and a ten o'clock Eastern game Sky Blue FC against Chicago Red Stars. And we'll have a review mm-hmm. um, of the of the games on the Total Soccer Show either
1: either Thursday or Friday, either yeah.
0: Thursday or Friday. All right. Mm-hmm. Good luck to all four teams. He said, appealing to all four fan bases.
1: Yes. And. <laughs> Maybe goals. Maybe goals would be fine. Yeah. Uh, before we call it a day, though, Mister Grove, we do have some scouting reports to get to. Ooh, if that works for you, it
0: does. I haven't seen them. I know you've sent them to me, but I haven't had a mm-hmm. I haven't had a read ahead. So, do we have some Americans in there?
1: We do, and we have a clarification on uh, Andrea Novakovic. I, I would nice. say that you were more correct than I was in the interpretation. Uh, slash, you were. Pretty much right. Uh, but let's start with Chris Goodwin. Shall we scout McKinsey Gaines, 22 year old American forward on loan at SG Sonnenhof uh from Hanover 96? Didn't know that. Uh, since the return to play, Gaines has been killing it, scoring three goals, one assist. Actually, I shouldn't even say that. It's basically he's finishing out his time with Grossespach and then moving to Hanover, mm, is what I learned okay. after uh, writing that introduction. Since the return to play, Gaines has been killing it, scoring three goals and one assist over a 10 game stretch for third division uh, Grossespach. Spotch. I'm going to abbreviate it there. Furthermore, Gaines was recently recorded sprinting at a max speed of, uh, I'm going to go with miles per hour here, 22.65 miles per hour, a speed nearly parallel with Alfonso Davies, who hit a top speed of 22.67 miles per hour in June. So there's some speed there. His recent performances, coupled with his lightning speed, have earned him a move to Hanover 96 in the German second division. The plan seems to be for Gaines to start for the Hanover reserve team, which is made up of U 23 players, and hopefully then compete for a spot. Uh, with the first team, while simultaneously playing in the fourth division in Germany,
0: I will say this: Hanover makes me a little bit nervous for US men's national team players. Um, Chris, well, yeah, Bobby Wood, Bobby Wood, uh, Sebastian mm-hmm. Soto. Whatever happened there, mm-hmm. he didn't kind of like it. And Chris oh. Boston moved on after one year to get to to PSV. I'm not sure. I have no idea what the situation is, but it doesn't seem to go well for Americans there. Maybe Mackenzie Gaines can uh, can switch it up for us.
1: I, I don't think that you were meaning to reference The Sopranos, but I feel like any diehard Sopranos fan instantly reacts and like gets uncomfortable when a person says, whatever happened there. And I'll leave it at that.
0: <laughs> Up next, Jason Unfreseth mm. is scouting... Uh-huh. Brian K.O., the seventeen year old American midfielder for Wolfsburg. Jason says Brian Ko's long rumored slash expected move to Wolfsburg has recently been made official. The soon to be eighteen year old American was signed along with Kobe Hernandez Foster, but unlike Hernandez Foster, who is quote, destined, unquote, this is the language mm-hmm. used in the official official press release, for Wolfsburg's under twenty-three squad.
1: He's destined for the U23s. I think that's good. Who knows? Jeff Markman scouting Reese Nelson, 20 year old English midfielder for the Arsenal. <laughs> uh, I added the R, the, 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 the to annoy people. Nelson was in the starting lineup for Arsenal against champions Liverpool and was involved in both goals for the surprising 2 1 victory. Down a goal in the first half, Nelson pressured Virgil van Dyke into a poor back pass that was intercepted and finished by Lacazette. A few minutes later, Nelson's pressure on Allison forced a poor pass that was again intercepted by Lacazette, who then found Nelson in space to the right of the penalty spot for a right-footed finish inside the far post. Nelson's intelligent movement for what proved to be the winning goal was noteworthy as he adjusted his pressurizing run to get himself back on side and find space to receive the pass on his left foot.
0: I love all the young English players at Arsenal. And we have another one. Jeffrey Tana is scouting Bukayo Saka, the 18-year-old English left-sider for Arsenal. Jeffrey and says, again,
1: I, I wrote that uh, because that's what he usually is. And then Jeffrey goes in more depth about it. You could basically just say the 18-year-old English everywhere for <laughs> Arsenal.
0: Oh, right. The 18-year-old English everywhere for Arsenal Jeffrey says Bukayo Saka has had an eventful project restart continuing to become a regular for the Gunners and netting himself a long term contract most interestingly he has been playing all over the pitch including in a midfield three playing very wide left wing back and right wing he plays stronger on the left side but has been capable as a deputy for Nicolas Pepe on the right side his flexibility mm. may make sure he continues to get playing time
1: Yeah, I think if you can play anywhere, that tends to help. Or Uh, you become the
0: 12th name on the team sheet.
1: Also that. (laughs) Oscar Leong scouting Michael Obafemi, 19-year-old Irish forward for Southampton. Uh, We talked about this one. Obafemi scored in Southampton's 2-2 draw with Manchester United as an 87th-minute sub, equalizing on the last play of the game. Previously, he's used his rump to create opportunities (laughs) for other players by shooting defenders. This time, he used it for himself by holding up Victor Lindelof, Lindelof at fault again, before back-healing past David De
0: Gea. Interesting. Oh, and here we Mm. go. The uh, Novakovic moment. Um, yeah. Anurag Anjaria is scouting Andrea Novakovic. Um, Anurag says, uh, 23-year-old American striker for Frosinone. Anurag says Novakovic broke an eight-game st- scoreless streak with his fourth goal of the season in Frosinone's 1-1 draw with 15th place Pescara. Simple side-footed finish after some great hold-up play from a teammate on the six-yard line. Despite a lack of goals, Novakovic has been getting consistent playing time, featuring in every game since the restart, as Frosinone tried to hang on to a promotion playoff spot. They are currently sixth, I assume, in Serie B. Yes, Serie B. Oh, yeah." Mm -hmm. Yep. So, I think
1: better. I I think I still wanted, like, an American forward to just be scoring goals. That's really all I want. I would like to have that be the case, but I'll I'll take competing for a spot in Serie A ideally, hopefully, um, maybe possibly.
0: My understanding is that he is very much like a back-to-goal hold-up player, and he's like laying Mm -hmm. things off and still being the target man that can make things happen. I've actually seen this goal. He starts off with his back-to-goal, but this is one of the Mm -hmm. times he manages to uh, feel the pressure in the back of him and kind of slowly turn and get a shot away. Yeah, so... So what
1: I'm hearing you say is that he is the new Giroud and Chelsea should sign him.
0: I mean... He's the American Giroux? I don't, know if that, <laughs> I don't know if that fills you with joy or not.
1: Uh, I don't know if he has the, the facial the facial hair to pull that uh, nickname off.
0: <laughs> Worth noting, and um, these are my own little scouting reports, um, Ayo Akinola has now scored mm-hmm. five goals in the MLS is back tournament. Yep. And Jeremy Abobese keeps getting on the score sheet as well. Yeah, he does. As does Chris Muller. And we talked a couple shows, a few shows ago about Zardes. Um, a lot of Americans scoring at the MLS is back a tournament.
1: I like it. I like it a lot, Daryl. I yeah. like goals. I like goals, too. Um,
0: mm-hmm. All right, Taylor, anything else to add before we wrap this up? No, sir. All right, then. I will say, <laughs> Taylor Rockwell. We've
1: been, we've been going for an over an hour yet again. I think Have we've we? talked about enough. But yeah. we
0: said the show would be 45 minutes. We did. It's not our style. Well, Taylor Rockwell, thank you uh-huh. for talking to me for an over an hour today. Right back at you, buddy. <laughs> Listeners, thank you for listening for us for over an hour today, and we will talk to you again later this week. Is it a big surprise? No, it's not a big surprise. I'll save it just so you can react spontaneously, but yeah, I have an answer (laughs) for that. I'll remember to react spontaneously. Cool. Thank you. (laughs)